Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. As always, uh, I'm your host, Pet Parisha, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Santangelo. Matt, how are you doing, mate? Good. It's finally, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done our previous episode four. I know we, uh, you went on vacation while I was just coming back. So um, yeah, it's, it's great to be back here for episode five when we got quite on quite a bit of uh quite a bit to talk about and of course a, a tasty player profile that i'm very excited about to introduce and um, i'm sure many of you guys listening will be delighted to hear about he won't stop smiling guys honestly but it, it, still it's definitely worth it it's <laughs> definitely worth the wait you guys haven't had anything from us for two or three weeks but i was actually in the u.s and it was a shame that i wasn't on the east coast that me and matt could do like a, like a live recording but uh nevertheless i had some some good fun uh some good weather and uh now back to football back to the day job which is uh yeah also good fun which just stinks too because like you're coming back we're recording episode five at the time right now and we're now we're entering international break again Ugh. so it's like there's always but there's always so much to talk about of course and we'll get uh we'll get right into that very shortly for sure and uh of course you're a milan fan and i'm an arsenal fan and arsenal ceo gazidis is joining Milan or has joined Milan. I'm not sure what's happened, Matt. I, I've been away, so why don't you run us through this one? Yeah, it looks like this is a, a foregone conclusion. It looks like this is going to happen. Um, I believe sometime by the end of the year, I think it'll be official for sure. Again, really just... Like, I, these things sort of got to iron themselves out one way or the other, but I think, again... Everything is aligning and everything's shaping up to be Gazidis coming into Milan, uh, which was mentioned that towards the, the, the middle and end of the summer, really once... Uh, Elliot took over yeah, Milan entirely from Lee Yong Hong. Gazidis was immediately mentioned, and of course, I think we even talked about that maybe episode two or three, if I'm correct, uh, about Gazidis and uh, you being an Arsenal fan, how you pretty much gave your uh, insight and in, in, um, thoughts on him and this, you know, what the, what it would mean to lose him as an as an Arsenal fan, but also what Milan would be getting in him. And I think uh, a guy like Gazidis, from what I've known, from what I've read. A great addition to the front office, and it's just another fantastic move for Milan, who have really shaken up the uh, you know the management. Of course, Leonardo, Paolo Maldini. Uh, now you get a guy like Gazidis, and I believe, of course, Umberto Gandini, who used to be at Milan, um, is 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 was uh, you know he left Roma I believe the past week or week and a half. So it looks like he will also be returning to Milan or joining Milan's uh, new uh, management group, rather. So a lot of fresh faces, a lot of fresh ideas, a lot of. Uh, you know, good people to have involved in making the decision. So overall, I'm quite pleased with the, the appointment of Gazidis um, when it does happen. I think, again, it's not really so much if, it's more when. I guess we really have to see uh, when it'll be finalized and when the uh, club statement will come out. But um, yeah, I think that'll definitely happen um, very soon. Yeah, for sure. Is it just me or a football club starting to act like startups like they just change so so quickly in the space of six to 12 months I mean we've talked a lot about Arsenal and Milan on this podcast Arsenal football club didn't have Sven Mistletat about 16 months ago they didn't have Raul Salheny they didn't have uh, Burgess who's like the head of high performance so they've completely revamped their whole management structure in like 12 to 18 months. Same with Milan. You've got the Elliot management group that have come in and as you mentioned, brought in all these high profile guys to sit at the top and now they've managed to poach Gazidis. But what, what, are, what, are the, what are the reactions coming out of Milan about this because from Arsenal it's it's a bit indifferent it's a bit um it's a bit meh really because he he oversaw such a a troublesome period in Arsenal's uh, in Arsenal's history that a lot of 
a lot of fans think that it, it might be for the best. And just to add to that, we, Arsenal as a football club are not actually hiring a replacement. So Vinay Venkateshem, who I haven't actually heard of before, but he's this chief commercial officer, will take some of the managing director roles. And also uh, Raul Salaheri, who's obviously the former Barcelona um, sporting director, who's, I think, head of sporting relations or whatever that title is, Arsenal. He's going to take some of the responsibilities as well. So it kind of seems like he wasn't pushed out, but his role became smaller and smaller. The more of these guys that he ironically hired to come in, and now he's kind of chosen to leave and uh, i think it's probably a the best move for both parties isn't it yeah i i I would say so again um you know with with everything you just touched upon with regarding arsenal and the changes they're undergoing themselves it only seems fitting that maybe gazidis was thinking okay like i I see the writing on the walls here my role is being uh, not not um, people aren't coming in and stepping over stepping on my on on my toes as i do my job per se but i think he kind of saw that there were uh several changes being made and then you know a little bit of duties being shifted from one hand to the other maybe he was thinking okay milan's calling my name i think maybe now is the best time to you know get out um in in a way that's not so difficult because of course arsenal are playing well too so if gazidis leaves at a, at a time where the club's in good standing they're playing well uh the guys that they're they're bringing in um to kind of more or less fulfill his duties and honestly add on to their their management and their team in the front office it'll make the, the transition and really that that kind of that segue into his next move to milan that that much more seamless and really uh, less pain free, which I think is what both uh, sides want in this. I don't think Azidis wants to leave on uh, you know poor terms with uh, the board or, or the fans really, because obviously we know how influential these members are to uh, you know teams being uh, able to compete year in and year out. So for uh, from from a Milan fans perspective, I'm excited to see a guy like Azidis join this this new revamped front office that Milan are currently putting together. Um, and it's strange too that you, you you also touched upon it as well. Uh, they feel like they are being um, these these clubs are being managed like startups, if you will. I mean, how many years did we see it was the Berlusconi Galliani uh, duo just making all the moves? It was just them two, pretty much as the, the main decision makers. Of course, you had Barbara Berlusconi, uh, Silvio's daughter. But in any case, it really just felt like a really tight knit group. But now you're seeing in a couple different years, Leong Hong and. Um, you know, now you have Elliot with um, Maldini, you have Leonardo. It's like it, they're constantly changing. And then again, you, it just proves that the, the game is changing. It's, it's you know, you got to adapt. You got to be able to uh, adjust and, and really adapt or die or, or really not die. But you get the point of, of not withstanding or being able to compete uh, on a consistent basis. Even team like Juve, which is strange. It came to, uh, it came to a shock to many. I believe it was last week or the week before with Pepe Bonrota. Of course, the longtime director for Juventus, um, who has brought in many big names: Pogba, Pirlo, uh, Vidal. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> Ronaldo. It, the list goes on and on. <laughs> now he looks like he's going to be. I mean, he's not looks, but he is going to be. R- rumored to, to, even... to potentially be going to Arsenal. Those, those were the and some exactly. weird rumors. So that would be. I mean, maybe that, that's something we're going to touch upon in a, in, a, in a future episode. But again, getting back to your main point. Uh, Things are changing with the front offices and really just showing how important these members are. So for Milan and for Arsenal, I think um, it's safe to say you would probably maybe agree or disagree. I think you can get, touch on it more. It looks like Arsenal are going to be in good standing, even if they do lose Gazidis and they do value him quite well. It looks like they've done well to kind of reshape that that front office. They Again, they've, the product on the field looks good under Unai Emery. They're off to a good so I think they've won nine consecutive games, if I'm correct. 
Yeah, boy. So, so yeah. So again, Milan. You know, they're not they're not doing too bad this season. Although they, I think most Milan fans want more. Um, they're they're I think three points off fourth place with the game at hand. So all things considered, it's a massive change up for both teams for sure. But uh, they both teams are doing pretty well and they're in good and they're in a good position overall. It's kind of weird, isn't it? In the NBA, the NFL, and and a lot of other mainstream American sports, you have a situation where sometimes in the off season a team's whole roster can change, which doesn't really happen in football often, uh, in European football, rather. No. Alternatively, we're seeing this space where a whole management structure can change in 12 months rather than a roster. So it's a bit strange. But if you guys want to hear more about um, maybe the, the, the management structure at Arsenal, you can listen to episode two, which is Korenk and Kepa. Um, we had some very, very good insight from uh, Billy Marshall, I believe, on uh, Stan Kroenk and, and also Josh Kroenk, his son, who I think will be stepping up his responsibilities at Arsenal quite soon. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the, that was one of our uh, I, I probably say this about every every episode, but that was a really uh, that was one of the ones that was received quite well from our, our listener our listeners. So uh, definitely go check that out. As Petra just mentioned, there's a lot of good stuff there. But uh, yeah, we, we've got to move on and staying in the Premier League. Eden Hazard is on fire, Matt. That's uh, probably an understatement. I mean, his guys uh, in score, scoring not only just you know pretty much carrying a lot of the offensive duties for Chelsea, who have been having a great year under Maurizio Zari, but a guy who's really showing uh, why he is uh, that elite, why he is among the top you know, handful of best players in the world today. I mean, some of the things he's doing, some of the things he's been doing in, in against big clubs and rivals against Liverpool. I mean, that goal he scored a couple weeks ago, I think it was in the uh, cup play. I forgot what the actual cup it was, but maybe the Carabao Cup. I could be wrong there, but... Um, I mean, just that was just. I mean, again, he's he's a guy that's starting to score goals, and we know he's capable of scoring goals even when he was at Lille. I think he was a 16, 17 goal scorer domestically, and he maybe hasn't been able to do that same thing for Chelsea. But make no mistake about it, this guy is more than goals. He's that influential. He's that effective, and he's that dangerous. And just when you when you are opposing team, and he just touches the ball, it, it's he has that 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 ability that he can change the game and, and really flip the game on its own right then and there. And that's exactly what he did against Liverpool. And that's really what he's been doing for most of the season for Chelsea. But of course, there's a lot more things going on with Hazard aside from his pit, uh, play on the pitch. And, and Petra, you want to, I guess, maybe uh, you update our listeners as to what that is. Yeah, well, I mean, just before I get into that, he started six times in the Premier League. He's got seven goals and three assists. He's one man of the match five times. Um sensational stats at the moment like on current form he's got to be regarded as probably the best player in the world that's kind of outlandish to say we haven't had the best player in the world in the premier league since uh, cristiano ronaldo graced these shores but eden hazard is really turning it on now and uh, him going into the the last part of his contract is a big worry for chelsea because if you actually look at their stats or maybe even the, the amount of goals he's contributed for Chelsea in comparison to how many goals they've scored. It's a large amount. He's scored or assisted 11 goals. And I believe Chelsea have scored 22 or something like that. So you're looking at a player who is literally carrying his team. It, it kind of reminds me of 
and he, this was probably a worse team that Robin Van Persie played in with Arsenal when Arsenal came fourth, when he broke the uh, or equaled the the yearly tally of Premier League goals, which Mo Salah has now gone on to break. But it kind of reminds me of that, where you're always looking for that one guy. And Chelsea don't really have that other person. They don't have that plan B. They've got Giroud and Morata that haven't been prolific. Giroud has scored zero goals. Morata has scored, I think, two in the Premier League this season. Willian is hot and cold. Pedro as well. Uh, their goal score, their midfield isn't a goal scoring one. Ross Barkley scored his first goal of the season. Kovacic is not a goal scorer. Jorginho is not a goal scorer. No, neither are Kante. But y- you mentioned this uh, this off the field pressure that he might have felt. Uh, an article came out today saying that he's torn, and I do uh, air quotes here, between signing a new deal at Stamford Bridge and a dream move to Real Madrid. So uh, he said, I don't want to say yes, I'm going to sign a new contract. And in in the end, I don't end up signing. I want what's good for me, but I want what's good for the club because the club has given me everything. So I will see. Sometimes in my head, I wake up in the morning and I think I want to go. Sometimes I think I want to stay. It's a hard decision. It is my future. But at 27 years of age, this is the moment, right? You don't sign a new contract and then leave. It's it's either now or never for Real Madrid, which for for Eden Hazard and Real Madrid, which is maybe why this is gonna be the transfer saga of the the next twelve. One hundred percent. Um, again, we, we everyone knows how quality uh, Eden Hazard is, and that's probably putting it lightly. Again, probably probably right now, based on form alone, you could probably put him and Messi as the top. Uh, or Piontek, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about. Um, in terms of in terms of um, the form and the, the top players in the world right now, and how again, how many years was it? Messi, Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldo, and then recently again, a couple of years was Neymar, Mbappe. But Hazard's at this point in time of his career, at 27 years old, he is right there as among the best in the world. And when you have the best in the world, of course. Um, Teams like Real Madrid, it's only fitting that you know every, a lot of these players. It's no surprise. We, we we all know it. A lot of these a lot of these players. We saw the pictures of even Kylian Mbappe having the pictures of uh, Ronaldo on his wall. These players, it's they, yes, they play for Chelsea. Yes, they play for Man United. Yes, they play for these clubs. But they also have dreams that they want to fulfill. You only get to do this once. This this football career, you only get to do it once. And for a guy like Eden Hazard, who has proven time and time again that he is world class, he is uh, a sensational player. He is torn, and I think he also he's, he's also caught in that that middle place of he wants to do right by Chelsea, as you just mentioned, and not really see him leave Chelsea for free. But he also wants to understand that um, you know he has ambitions. He wants to play for Real Madrid. Real Madrid are are them in Barcelona. You could pretty much put it to two teams that all these young kids I've ever dreamed of playing for. So it's it, it's interesting. It's going to be the, I I for sure believe it's going to be the talk of the uh, of the summer um, and even before then because again aspiring contract. Uh, it's not going to be decided then. You have we will have a good indication of what his future is going to be. Uh, I, I, if, if you ask me, I don't think it's going to be at Chelsea. I think in, at 27, again, he's been, I think, at Chelsea for, what, six years, five years, six years, give or take. The time is now. He he, mo- he moved to Chelsea as a young kid from Lille for a ton of money, has been amazing for them, regardless of who the manager has been. And now, all of a sudden, he's thinking, okay, 
this is the next step of my career. It's Real Madrid. This is the, this is the summit of football. I think again, and if you're if you're looking at Real Madrid, who are in are, are in their own difficult situation, they lost a guy like Ronaldo last summer, and they really wanted Hazard last summer because I think it was obvious they had really had to replace a guy like that. Despite the fact that Ronaldo and Hazard are varying profiles, they Hazard's not a potent goal scorer. He's not a thirty-five to forty goal scorer like we've seen with Ronaldo um, throughout his entire career at Real Madrid, but he is that type of a player that moves the needle, if you will, a big name that you know they couldn't get in Mbappe, Neymar, all those mentions that they had with those two players. Hazard was the guy, and I think it was obvious that Hazard probably wanted to move, but I think they couldn't come to an agreement on fee between the two clubs. So I think again, it's written in the stars that he will probably move to Real Madrid, but I don't think he wants to have leave any. He doesn't want to burn any bridges. He doesn't want to leave on again, like we talked about Gazidis, even on again on a smaller scale, in my opinion, because obviously the players uh, control the game. He doesn't want to leave on bad terms. He doesn't want to be. He wants to leave on a, you know, on terms that are respectable and that Chelsea fans could understand that this is the dream move he's always uh, wished for, yearned for, and worked for. And he, they want to be able to do it the right way. So again, signing a contract, moving to Real Madrid, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, his contract ends in uh, 2020, summer 2020. So it's uh, not the last, this isn't the last year, but, you know, we know how it works with the last year of a player's contract. Did most most big cl- most big players, they don't wait till their final year to sign no, a contract. No, they usually do right. a year so, before. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not his future is at Chelsea, especially, I mean, if you look at his credentials, he's won the Premier League twice with Chelsea now. And on both occasions, he was their start player. Uh, on one occasion, in the second half of the season, especially it was with Mourinho, they were really struggling, winning a lot of games, 1-0, drawing a lot of games. And he was the guy that was, as you quite rightly said, moving the needle. PFA Young Player of the Year, PFA Player of the Year. So apart from the Champions League, Eden Hazard's kind of conquered England whether you like it or not. So especially if, I don't know, I don't think Chelsea are in the running to be one of the top teams. To, oh, they're not even in the Champions League. So so I, I think that might be something that Eden Hazard will look at. He might say, okay, my options are stay here, try and win the Champions League, become like a club legend, or I go to Real Madrid and I try and create another dynasty. It's going to be such a hard decision, but I think it's it's getting harder and harder to to attract big players from big clubs. It really is. I mean, we saw uh, recently with uh, Lazio in, in your beloved Serie A that uh, Chirim Immobile and uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic both signing a new contract. I mean, I wouldn't have bet on that in the summer. <laughs> so it's getting harder and harder to prize away these big players from, from big clubs. And Lazio aren't even the biggest club. Uh, but again, I guess uh, Eden Hazard has all the leverage with that last year. But uh, you mentioned... And real quick, on, you know, just with Hazard, it's you know it's interesting to, uh, too because how, how many times over the past couple of years or really since Gareth Bale moved to Real Madrid after a couple of years after Ronaldo, most people were thinking, well, is Bale, like, is he the guy? Is he Real Madrid's main guy now of course Ronaldo left now it's Bell it's it's supposed to be if you look at it on paper right you're probably thinking it probably should be Bell's team I mean he was once again um you know one, at one point in time he was the world's most expensive footballer but of course injuries and some somewhat inconsistencies have kind of prevented him from being uh you know that that superstar player on a consistent basis that we know he's capable of being if a guy like Eden Hazard comes in where does that leave Gareth Bale because now he's thinking well, Ronaldo left, I'm supposed to be the guy. If Real Madrid are getting Hazard and, and possibly making him the world's most expensive player, if they do make a big, huge splash and transfer fee for him, 
what does that say to bail? Now you got to manage personalities. And, and those are also some difficult things that you have to kind of keep in mind with a move like Hazard, um, if, if should he go to Real Madrid? Yeah, certainly an interesting one to keep our eyes on. But um, I mean, it's been a joy to watch Eden Hazard this this season and making him my uh, fancy Premier League captain most weeks. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, or we've mentioned Madrid quite a lot. Uh, Lopetegui is uh, under a bit of pressure, the former Spain and current man- uh, Real Madrid manager. Um, a few rumours emerging that Real Madrid might may look to to sack him or, or find another coach. Uh, Sergio Ramos actually came out today and said it would be silly to, to change uh, change coach this this early in the season. But I was having a look at some Real Madrid stats and they started the season so well. And suddenly they've just kind of fallen off a cliff. I think no wins in the last four or five, struggling to score. What's kind of happening here, Matt? This is an interesting one too because uh, you know Zinedine Zidane left that team in, in 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 he left the team at the perfect time, as did Ronaldo. Um, and let's face it, again, if maybe both those guys were still at their at Real Madrid, things could possibly would most likely be different at this point. But again, when, I think most Real Madrid fans, no one really saw this coming because let's face it. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, those are the those are the, the, the top three in Spain. So I think regardless of losing a guy like Ronaldo, losing a manager um, as successful as Zidane's been at Real Madrid, of course, I think three Champions League titles, you didn't you knew it wasn't going to be easy for Real Madrid to kind of, you know, it's going to be just business as usual, especially for the fact that they didn't land the big name to replace Ronaldo, as we just mentioned with Eden Hazard, which was their biggest attempt. And we even had reports uh, come out, you know, uh, of course, PSG squash, uh, Real, excuse me, Real Madrid squashed them that they were looking at Kylian Mbappe it's not that I don't if you ask most Real Madrid fans I don't think they forego for foresaw this happen or for this was in the cards I think they knew it was probably going to be a little bit difficult um just for the simple fact that you don't have Ronaldo anymore and Zidane but man they've hit a they've hit a wall recently and so is Bar- so is Barcelona though you can also look to them as Barcelona I mean I think Sevilla is at the top of the table right now so again it just speaks volumes as to kind of the, the shuffling that's going on in Spain and the uh, the shift in power if you will that maybe it's not so one-sided as it once used to be with Barcelona Real Madrid just being the the standard the gold standard of Spanish football now it looks like with Real Madrid and Spain having some issues of their own Maybe it opens the door for someone else to maybe win the league. But getting back to Real Madrid, I think what Ramos said is it, it makes, he brings up a good point. If you're going to fire Lopetegui at this stage, which again, I could see where most some fans were thinking, well, okay, maybe this is the move because it is an international break, of course, at the time of recording. Now would be the time to do it so you can give that replacement ample time to adapt, to work in, uh, integrate his tactics, everything like that. But I think it's. It's you knew it was going to be difficult. You knew it was going to be a little bit of a transitional period. Um, now, if they don't make the move now, then I believe Florentino Perez is thinking. I think he's the guy to get us out of this. I think it just is going to be just a speed bump. We're going to be able to get off the international break and get back to form as normal. But you wonder if a team like Real Madrid, you don't you don't accept mediocrity. You don't accept a down year and off year. How we've seen with certain clubs where if they sell players or okay, we'll be back next year. Real Madrid expect to be competing for three trophies every year, each and every year, especially as the reigning uh, Champions League winners. So it just makes you wonder that it, as with each and every uh, you know mediocre result, 
everything becomes magnified. The pressure mounts, the media uh, pressure mounts. And at some point, you got Fiorentino Perez is thinking either, yes, he's the guy for us, or no, we got to stop the bleeding and we got to make a move now. So uh, this is going to be, again, a developing situation, much like what's gonna, probably going to happen with uh, Bayern Munich and uh, Manchester United, who will also have managers facing a lot of pressure at this time. Yeah, we'll, we'll get onto those guys in just a second. But before we do, it is kind of... The- not a season for patience, but a lot of managers have started quite poorly and then managed to turn it around. The couple in Serie A, of course, uh, Di Francesco and um, and uh, Gattuso, of course, uh, not the best of starts or rocky patches, but they've managed to turn it around. Unai Emery lost his first two games. Now we're looking at nine in a row. Manuel Pellegrini at West Ham uh, come in, spent a lot of money. Lost uh, first three games, I think, and then managed to turn it around, uh, beating Manchester United and getting a couple other results. So I think maybe boards are being slightly less reactive uh, this season. And potentially that speaks to the lack of quality in unemployed coaches at the moment. I think you've got like David Moyes and a few other guys, right? Like, who are you going to hire if if you sack um, Gattuso, for example? Or who are you going to hire if you sack Mourinho? I think that's probably one of the reasons Mourinho's out. I think uh, Zidane is the only standout candidate. I think there's, I think there's names. I think there's names available. But it really, I mean, I think people are just, it's a difference between mentioning a name of a coach that once coached and now is no longer coaching as a guy. But you also have to understand, because I've heard people say, Arsene Wenger, is Arsene Wenger really going to come out of retirement in the middle of the season and coach Real Madrid? Like, I, I just don't see that happening. Conte, yeah, Conte's an option. Zidane, I, I don't think these guys would coach. I just think there's too much riding on themselves and their career and their reputation to step in midway through a season to pick up the pieces. Typically, you don't see that from big managers, right? Uh, where a, pl- a coach will step in midway, especially a big name coach, to stop put out the fire because now he's dealing with so many different things. Which players don't fit? Which uh, personalities am I going to have to deal with? What am I stepping in again? Stepping into in terms of my positioning in the table? I- again, that's what I think a lot of these presidents have to kind of keep in mind here: is thinking that. Um, you know, if you fire Lopetegui, if you fire, uh, you know, even Mourinho or, or Kovac, uh, who's replacing them? Because you're going to be asked that question. If you fire a coach, you better be you better be damn sure that you have someone that you you can at least convince the, the fans and, you know, the rest of the world to say, OK, well, this guy, I think we, he can do it. Uh, we saw that last year, which again, which was uh, really wasn't a surprise, but you kind of saw it coming was with Ancelotti at Bayern Munich. Of course, they brought in, uh, they brought back uh, Heinkees. He came in. He, he did a stellar job. So there is a possibility that that does happen. But Heinkees has known Bayern Munich. He's known the way of coaching that team, and he knows the club culture. He knows the fans. He knows the board. So I think it was a little bit of a different situation. Uh, I just wanted to add that to the, the conversation here. Yeah, and of course, uh, Jupp Heinkees is now retired, so they don't have the emergency Jupp Heinkees get out of jail free card. But but we want to talk about Nico Kovac a little bit. Uh, some uncertainty there. They started the season pretty well, Bayern, but. Apparently, he's been only communicating to the other coaches or the rest of his coaching staff in Croatian. Obviously, he's a Croatian heritage, which is obviously, it's not weird. But I guess if you're at a German club, you speak German very well. You've been managing there for a while. Your whole team probably speaks German. You want to have that transparency with you and the team. You don't want to be kind of maybe 
making a player think that you're talking about them or in a negative fashion or, you know, just just general uh, cohesion of a team. Everyone should probably be speaking the same language. I mean, you get it. You have like uh, certain guys who are from the same country. For example, you've got a uh, Tiago Alacantara and uh, James Rodriguez, Rafinha. They all speak Spanish. They probably speak Spanish to each other. Um, but the majority of the time you want everyone to speak the same language to increase that cohesion uh, that team chemistry in general and apparently speaking of Hammers, uh, he had a big argument with him where uh, Hammers was subbed off and apparently he, he went on a massive tirade at half time and said this isn't Eintracht Frankfurt this rogue. isn't how you manage a big team <laughs> so it's uh, suddenly again another one which is just suddenly click of your fingers it's just turned on its head yeah, again, once it once it starts getting out of the, the changing room, uh, we also said this about um, you know uh, Manchester United even uh, before the start the season even started with the whole Anthony Martial uh, and and Jose Mourinho, of course, with uh, Martial having his kid and and being away from the team. Um, once it starts getting out of the changing room and things start leaking to the media, now it becomes a he said he said situation, and now it's your word against theirs, and now all of a sudden it's those are the types of things you want to squash internally so it doesn't get out and you can kind of put it to bed uh, completely and move forward. But with every loss, every difficult performance, um, every decision maybe that Hamas is not involved in or Hamas is not on the field um, for whatever reason or any decision-making that Kovac does, they'll have to answer to, well, we know what, what are the players think, what, is, what are your thoughts on this? They're going to constantly be asked and that, that comes with the territory of coaching at a big club like Bayern Munich. So getting back to uh, the, you know, the, having the conversation, speaking in the same language, I think that's that's paramount. We always talk about how this isn't FIFA. This isn't FIFA 19 or, or football manager where you can just plug and play and expect the, the, the 89 overall player to play like an 89 overall player. It's a lot of things come into play, um, you know, the, how players adapt to the culture, how they adapt to the manager, his way of thinking, his philosophies, his training methods. And of course, uh, specifically, the language barrier, which always um, is, is still uh, prevalent today in, in, in today's game, because it, you again, you want everyone on the same wavelength, speaking the same language and being able to understand one, one another. And I think there was also people, I think they're surprised, uh, you know, at, at first glance, what they heard from Maurizio Tzari when he actually coached, when he started coaching at Chelsea, because he's always coached in Italy but he speaks a pretty decent English and I think that's obviously helped them but for a guy that's so tactically driven um, and and so um, embedded in his own philosophies of, of playing football the fact that he has a good understanding of English and he's able to transmit his ideas and ways of thinking to his men on the pitch so they can perform to the best of their ability that's key and I think that's what's helping Chelsea obviously do really well this year as well amongst many other things I think Kosari's done a fantastic job but I think that's something that's very underrated to look at for with this if if Kovac is it's it's creating an unsettling environment for some of these players and again once the it's it's one thing if it's you're having a one-on-one -on -one issue with someone and I think that can be sorted out but it's another if you're having that plus the results are a bit, are difficult and they're not uh, as good as they should be then it becomes more of a problem because more things kind of spew out to the media. They kind of leak out. And now you start, maybe other players start voicing their opinion because it, once it gets to players speaking publicly about a manager in a difficult situation, then it, it becomes a problem. And we've seen even at Milan, just to compare the two, 
where even when Milan were having some difficult uh, performances, of course, drawing against teams they should have beaten, specifically Atalanta um, and Empoli, the players were still backing their manager. And again, of course, recently, they're on a three-game win streak. So those are the types of things. It's it's one thing if a if team's playing poorly, but the, 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 manager, the players are buying in. They support their manager through thick and thin. But it's another one saying when you're playing difficult and you're playing, um, excuse me, playing poorly, and you've got managed, uh, uh, players saying, well, this is, I think he said, this isn't Frankfurt anymore. Like, where do you, what do you think you're doing? It now it becomes everyone's a little bit on edge, and now you kind of maybe have an internal rift that you have to iron out. And right now, it doesn't look too good for Bayern. No, and it also doesn't look good for Jose Mourinho, who, who we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, if you check out episode, I want to say one where we talked about Martial and uh, Mourinho, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, either one or two, check those out. Listen to them both, they're both great. Uh, but um, Mourinho, Pogba, this this fiasco is just uh, it's never ending. Like uh, Pogba banned from speaking to the media, um, a, a press report that was leaked that uh, from the Mirror, uh, which isn't the most reliable. Uh, Saying that he's no longer captain the UK. Manchester United. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, of course, um, captaincy being thrown off him. But apparently Mourinho was going to be sacked after the Newcastle game, which came from a source which actually first broke the Sir Alex Ferguson being um, retiring news and also David Moyes being sacked uh, from Manchester United. So had a quite good history of uh, getting this news out. And on both occasions, I think Manchester United denied it. And on this occasion, Manchester United have also denied these allegations. So whether or not like midweek or during the international break, he leaves, it, it could. It wouldn't surprise me because of the, the precedent that's been set. But... I, I just don't know if there's a way back. Like, I can't... It, it seems to be like they'll have a decent result and then they'll go and, and have a really crappy result afterwards and then it's all doom and gloom. And above all of this, it's the type of football that he's playing. The players that he's got at his dis- disposal. You talk about Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, Romelu Lukaku, Paul Pogba, Alexis Sanchez, completely forgot about him, uh, and all these guys, and the lack of goals, the lack of flair, it's it's ridiculous, really. I think Mourinho has to hold, hold his hands up and say, look, I haven't got the best out of Sanchez. I haven't got the best out of Martial, who was once, at one point, um, you know, going to be the, the Mbappe that Mbappe is now, if that makes sense. Marcus Rashford, when he came out and burst onto the scene, this guy was scoring against Arsenal at 17, 18 years old. This is like one of the biggest talents that England have had in a while, and he's kind of stagnated as well. So you're looking at a manager who is struggling to get the best out of his players. He's got this big pressure under him. What What's going to happen, Matt? Like, where, where do we see this unfolding? Uh, it, it's I, it's really difficult to say. I think in that one episode where we did talk about Mourinho and Martial, um, we 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 I pretty much put it put put it came down to the conclusion that I'd be shocked if Mourinho lasts the entire season. Of course, there's a lot of things that come into play when you're uh, deciding to sack a manager, specifically one as uh, as as high profile as Mourinho, but. It, you don't right now. It's you don't see anything getting better. Again, like I just said about the Gattuso situation, or um, you know, even the Kovac situation. Uh, they're they're different in the sense that again, the players are coming out and, and we're backing uh, Gattuso after there were some uh, rumors that maybe Milan were looking to uh, you know, go a different direction. Same thing with Kovac. If it's one thing, if the players were backing the manager, saying despite some of these difficult results, we back our manager. We're going to keep working to to turn this thing around. 
Mourinho, it's almost like there's a lot of players that are just silent. And I think it's kind of one of those things where, again, I was watching the game uh, because everyone, even if you're not a Premier League fan or, or a Manchester United fan, you knew that Mourinho was on the hot seat, again, for, for obvious reasons. Manchester United are a big club. Mourinho's a big-name coach. So you kind of wanted to see how this thing would end, right? I think most people were under the impression that uh, my, he was going to be gone after that game against Newcastle. Of course, Newcastle were down 2-0. I mean, up, excuse me, up 2-0. They're the last place team against Manchester United. And you're thinking, uh, this guy's done after this game. Once that final whistle blows within the next day or so, he's gone. All of a sudden, the second half, it looked like a completely different Manchester United team uh, with Paul Pogba playing a central defender, which was uh, just another kind of strange thing to throw in there. Um, but they look like a different team. But the way I saw it with Manchester United was again I'm not on the I'm not, I don't have the I'm not don't claim to be in the know of what's going on with behind the scenes with these players and inside the locker room obviously but it looked as though that the players in the second half came out with that sort of uh, energy and that willing to play football almost as if to say oh no we're good we can play football we we, we know how to play fo- effective football and attractive football it's our it's almost like it's look to our manager as to why we're not succeeding that's how I kind of looked at it because there's, it was just weird that you see a team like, again, Manchester United with so many talented players. Players looked who looked disinterested. Martial and Paul Pogba didn't have good first halves. And I even, again, in the second half when they looked really well, they were clicking, and they came in to pull the comeback off. Alexis Sanchez getting the winner, and they won 3-2. I tweeted something out from my account, and I said, Martial and Pogba are elite players, elite talents. It's just... If for whatever reason, they haven't been able to kind of do it consistently enough. And again, I think it really boils down to the manager. You see that there's a lot of constant you know, back and forth and, and, and rifts between some of these players. So again, something's got to give. We talk, we touched upon it you can't, uh, way earlier in this recording. You can't get rid of 12, 13, 14 players. At some point, it's either, okay, look, we're going to sell the bad eggs and keep the coach that we back. Or we're going to get rid of the coach. And this is year three of Mourinho. And we all know what happens in year three. This is really hasn't been all that surprising. But just in the fact of the manner it's carried out. And the manner for which it has uh, gone down. Um, of course with you know uh, Pogba saying, oh, if I speak, I'm in trouble. Or Martial having his issues with, with uh, Mourinho. It, it's ugly. And you wonder if there's any way back from this. Again, as you just mentioned. I, don't, I just don't see it happening. But... Um, maybe maybe the move happens now during the break, but again, like I said with Lopategi, if you're gonna make a, a changing uh, a change at the bench, you'd feel like now during an international break would be the time to do it. So I guess um, at the time of recording, he's still the manager of Manchester United, but um, definitely something to keep an eye on, of course, in the in the weeks to come. Definitely, and uh, Matt, gun to your head, if all three of those managers were to leave. Who who would be the replacements at the uh, at their respective clubs? Madrid, Bayern, and, and Manchester United. That's interesting. That's a very tough question to ask um, or to answer. Actually, I think it's again. You look at some of the. You, I mean, you look at some of the the managers that are available, right? I mean, Antonio Conte. I've heard you know uh, you know not concrete reports by any means or concrete mentions of anything. Maybe just kind of. Uh, I'm just gonna tweet this out and see if I can get some likes and retweets. Conte coaching Manchester United. <laughs> I don't see it. I just, I just wonder if any of these managers... I think Bayern Munich is in a little bit of a different situation because we saw them fire Ancelotti. 
a big a big name manager, and and replacing with Heinke. It's, it's it's a different situation this year. But with Nico Kovac, it's not like he's a good manager. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like he's a an accomplished manager has done so much that okay you expect him to get out of this situation. And if we but if we fire him, um, you know we got to make sure. Like I think if you look at Kovac, I think he's the 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 manager. I think you can probably replace a little bit more or easier to replace, um, based off the fact that. I think that league and, and nothing against the league is specifically Bundesliga, but I think it's a little bit easier to turn around for Bayern Munich. They have the talent. I think if you get a manager who kind of just steady the ship, um, and there doesn't have to be a big name manager, I think they could do a, a decent job. Again, uh, maybe not in the Champions League, but domestically, I think they'd be okay. With Real Madrid and Manchester United, it's really interesting. If you're gonna fire a big manager like Mourinho, um, and even Lopetegui after you obviously lost Zidane. It's got to be for someone reputable because, again, those clubs, they don't like to give up on years, especially eight, nine games in. So I, I just don't know who, who would be out there to coach these teams at this point. I don't see an Arsene Wenger. I don't see an Antonio Conte. I don't see um, any of these, or Laurent Blanc. I don't see any of these managers stepping in um, and, and just saying, yeah, I'll take the job. I mean, it's, it's, it's appealing because of, of the nameplate, right? I get to coach Real Madrid. I get to coach Manchester United. But... I think there's a lot of these managers that if they could, the plan is to continue to coach past this year or to look for a job next year because we saw it on Chilotti throughout the entire season last year once he was fired he was linked to Milan once they were on the fence of sacking Montella and I believe he, they actually went to him and he pretty much said I'm taking the year off I'm, I'm going to look for other jobs um, come next year so I just think it's a very difficult situation for these three clubs to be in. If there were options, I think at least one of them would have been gone by now. But just given the small pool of managers that would be willing to step into such difficult situations at big clubs with immediate pressure facing them, I just don't see maybe these managers getting sacked anytime soon. Maybe Mourinho is a guy that leaves down the line because I think at some point, um, you know, if, if Manchester United, let's say yeah, towards the end of the season, they're, they kind of know what their fate is. Maybe they're not going to qualify for top four. They're saying, okay, we're going to fire Mourinho in the last six three, four games, we're going to have an interim coach and then we're really going to make our search for a manager next year. That's something I can see. And I can see that happen because I just, again, I just don't see Mourinho leaving, but I think it's too difficult to say right now because eight games, nine games in the season, um, things can change. It's still very early. If you come back to me in a month, um, I think I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see at least one of these guys gone. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it wouldn't surprise us by the end of the year if, if one of these guys are gone. I mean, uh, Mauricio Pochettino has been linked to to uh, Real Madrid, but a, middle a of the like middle of the, the year, I can't see that happening. I can't see it happening either. I mean, I could. I think this. I said this last year, where I think it was la- uh, his last year, but I I don't know if he can take Tottenham Hotspur any further, yeah. especially after not uh, buying any I, players. I think, like again, Pochettino's. I think his last year, he's done a, a ton for Tottenham. I think at his times, he kind of his times done there at, at Tottenham. I think. Uh, Real Madrid would be an ideal landing spot for him, especially a good good manager who has been successful in the Premier League. Um, he's ready for that next step up for sure. Um, Real Madrid obviously is a big situ- is a big situation to kind of jump into. Um, but again, that's midway the season. I-, I think I would be stunned if Pochettino did that to Real- uh, Tottenham and put that in that situation. Agree, agree. But uh, yeah, I think it looks like Zinedine Zidane most likely to Manchester United, even though for me that wouldn't make sense. I actually think that. United might wait till summer and go for an Allegri and go for a Simeone or a 
or, or a Pochettino uh, and actually have a good hit list. A guy that's maybe fallen under the uh, radar recently, Leonardo Jardim, the uh, Monaco manager, uh, how he kept them competing for the last three, four seasons. Ridiculous. I mean, this season they've started really poorly. And obviously, Ed, Ed, Eddie, Eddie Howe is, is raising some eyebrows now properly in England with uh, with Bournemouth. They've started the season on fire in uh, in the top half of the table. I think they're... I think they might be sixth or seventh, uh, and they've started really well. Won a couple games away from home, three nil, four nil, and they're playing some exceptional football. So um, Eddie Howe is a guy that's been touted. He was touted as Arsene Wenger's successor for for a long time, but it might be a, a case where he he wants to move on. But uh, it, it remains to be seen. Again, uh, we don't have that many options, uh, but 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 it, it does remain to be seen. But I think we've got to move on, Matt. Uh, we've got a really, 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 really special player profile today. I mean, they're always special, aren't they, Matt? But this one... This one deserves a lot might, of extra release from Petrit. Might be might be the most special. So why don't you, uh, why don't you take this one away? So, guys, we... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to say guys because we have uh, male and female listeners. Um, we have a, a very special guest joining us for this week's player profile. Um Janusz Michalik, of course, you guys know him from ESPN, comment, uh, a ESPN commentator, uh, wonderful person, great insight on Polish football. We are we he joined us where we we're talking about um, one of the hottest names on the lips of everyone around Europe. Of course, Krzysztof Piątek is the subject of this week's player profile. And today we learned that it's not Piatek, it's Piątek. So uh, for all of you guys who are like, who the hell is that? It's the guy that you think is called Piatek, but his name is actually pronounced Piontek. So yeah, the, the polls always have the most difficult names to pronounce. It's always just like, oh, what's this? Like, it's always like one of those tweets where everyone was like, uh, Christoph checks pronunciation, Piontek. And like, it's just like, you have to make sure you kind of say it the right way because you want to sound cool and you want to sound like you know what you're talking about. Uh, we even had to get the clarification uh, from Janusz on the, uh, on his, in his interview for this episode. So um, again, great insight that he uh, provided on Piontek, one of the biggest names in Europe at the moment um, and, and Europe's top scorer as well. Yeah, let's hear him pronounce the name correctly and not butcher it like myself. Can you give us the pronunciation of, so everyone, um, you know, in Italy, in America, and pretty much all the other teams that are interested in him get his name right. Can you give us the, uh, the pr- proper pronunciation? Yeah, he, he's a tough one, although not as, uh, not as tough as Wojciech Szczesny, you know, that, that uh, you have at Juve. But uh, his, ne- his name is Krzysztof Piątek. Piontek, Piontek. Uh, yeah, yeah. Many, I suppose, will call him Piatek, right? Because they don't see that little sign underneath the A, which in Polish, of course, makes it Piontek. So Krzysztof Piontek uh, is his name, and indeed, uh, uh, he seems to be on fire. Of course, uh, early season, early doors uh, for him, but uh, so far, so good. Yeah, when Piontek, it's funny when I think I saw earlier this past week or the week before, I saw Matteo Bonetti, you know, giving us a little bit of a lecture because he's, of course, the uh, the guy covering. He's the voice of uh, Serie A on ESPN now, uh, previously at BN Sport, and I remember he was giving us all a little bit of a lecture on how to properly say his name. So I'm glad that you clarified too. You doubled down on it, and we made sure uh, everyone got it the right way. So let's get right into it. So. Yeah, tearing it up. I believe he actually leads um, all of Europe in scoring, which is uh, pretty crazy. I think maybe there's, I think one guy I actually saw that, uh, again, Matteo shared an article on him. Uh, pretty much this one guy called in saying that he kind of expected this type of uh, production or this type of outbreak in Sierra. Of course, maybe not leading all, all of uh, Europe in scoring per se, but I think a guy uh, 
many people thought that he was um, kind of flew under the radar, four million euro move um, from Krakowia to Genoa, a team that's uh, kind of has in, has been seeing players come in and out over the past couple of years. Of course, Pietro Pellegri was sold to Monaco as well in last January. So, well, you know, let's start. I guess where where did he come from? How did he? get to this point, I guess, you know, kind of chart his journey from, from Poland all the way over to Italy? Well, he, he was in a smaller club in Poland. Uh, of course, he got his transfer to Krakowia, which is a first division team. And, uh, you know, played under a, a good manager that I suppose uh, uh, molded him uh, uh, and gave him uh, the freedom, right? I mean, he, he's your number nine. I mean, if you look at Poland, uh, uh, I'm not saying that he's the same as Lewandowski, but sort of plays the same position in a similar way. So, I mean, he's not this... You know, he's not the sort of player that's going to come deep. Uh, he's a poacher. He finishes well, as we've seen it uh, uh, so far. Uh, you know, uh, maybe what Icardi is doing for Inter in a way. That, that's the type of player. Uh, I don't think much is going to change. I mean, there's a player that does need service. Uh, you know, he, he, he is not, to me, a player that's going to create a lot for himself. Certainly not at the rate uh, of scoring, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, just like anyone, you, you, you have to be careful a little bit. Uh, right now, of course, you know, there's talk about the record. Um, I think uh, um, uh, Gabriel Batistuta has it. I had a pleasure to play against him uh, many years ago uh, mm-hmm. when he was at Fiorentina uh, against him. It was a wonderful Fiorentina team with the likes of Bayano, Effenberg and Laudrup. And, 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 you know, even if he reaches that, uh, I don't know if it's apples and oranges. Right now, um, if you look at Piontek, uh, yes, he's on a great run. Some skeptical people can say they haven't played anyone, or if they did, uh, you know, I mean, even though he's scoring, uh, it's not like you know, I think Genoa lost to Lazio. All the other games are not necessarily against the titans of the world, but he's a young player. Uh, he can only score against the teams that are in front of him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing a job. It's almost unhealthy, as his manager even say, and he's whispering about how good he may be. You know, I'm going to throw caution because that's what any logical person will do. Let's see what he does. Let's see how he plays for the rest of the season. And as always, when you talk about strikers, you know, I'm going to need two seasons, uh, at a, you know, of him scoring well at a good rate uh, to, to really get excited as some are. Because, you know, rumors say that... Uh, you know, everybody is looking at him. You know, uh, the Real Madrid's, maybe even Barcelona, Chelsea's. You don't know if it's true, but even if one or two of them are seriously looking at him, I would just hold on just a little bit and let him be. He's still young. Let him continue to, to play well and score. And even if he doesn't score every game, if he scores consistently, I think uh, maybe then we can talk about him a little bit more. Absolutely, I agree with you. And I think, you know, anytime we... Uh, we uh, we mentioned Polish players, Polish strikers, and I feel like it immediately goes back to Lewandowski. I think he's heard the same thing with Kaunaski when he went from Poznan to Sampdoria. Everyone was pretty much saying then they dubbed the next Lewandowski, and then Piontek is kind of getting the same type of uh, mentions, which again, big shoes to fill. Again, considering the fact that Lewandowski's accomplished everything um, domestically at Bayern Munich, uh, he's been uh, mm-hmm. a greater national player from Poland. So I think again, people have to be careful with the way they pin these such high expectations on players, especially, again, it's a little bit different when you fly under the radar and you go into a team like Genoa, who mm-hmm. I, I don't think really expected him to uh, burst out in this type of way. But again, to your point, multiple seasons being able to do. We saw it even with Andrea Bellotti, again, of course, uh, mm-hmm. Italian international still in Italy, but he had that great year with Torino and then Mila right. Chelsea were a little bit skeptical to pay the 100 million euro that um, 
uh, Urbano Cairo was asking for. Sure enough, he had a difficult year last year. So I think you really need to see the, the, a player like Piontek compile, can show that consistency that even if he's not playing in as big a team as Juve, Milan, Inter, Napoli, and the like, he's still able to produce with maybe less around him. So when he gets to those bigger stages, he knows how to adapt and he really knows how to kind of keep that form going. Yes, and, and you know, I mean, he was at a, in, a, in a provisional squad for the World Cup. Uh, you know, he, he didn't make it, but he was there with the team training ahead of it, uh, ahead of the World Cup. Uh, he's got a difficult spot right now for Poland, right? Because because Lewandowski is there. Poland uh, is playing uh, against Portugal and Italy in the span of four days next week, or this week and this week, really. Thursday against mm-hmm. Portugal and then uh, Sunday, I believe, against Italy. Uh and, and you would think that, you know, unmarried and in terms of being informed, he should get a look. But chances are he won't. Uh, it'll still be Lewandowski who's going to lead the line because they are very similar. So, you know, it's almost impossible to think that both of them could play together. It's not impossible, but highly unlikely, uh, I suppose. So it is inf- um, unfortunate for him that, to a degree that at this particular moment, he can't test himself, at least against Italy. And, you know, maybe maybe this will change. Uh, obviously, uh, the first game against Portugal will dictate a lot, but but uh, most likely he won't. So he's got, a, he's got a long road ahead of him because, you know, you and I and everybody else that uh, watches Serie A and watches Piontek, you know, I, I see... I see right now comparisons, right? If you're given points, you know, there, there's an, I see Piontek leading ahead of uh, Mbappe and, and Neymar and Stuani and uh, uh, Andres Silva and Eden Hazard in terms of scoring in Europe, right? Well, I just commentated uh, Paris Saint-Germain against Olympic Lyonnais last, yesterday. And Mbappe scored four goals in 13 minutes against Lyonnais. You know, I mean, this is a big, big team that just beat Manchester City away in the Champions League. Uh that's different than perhaps scoring as Kievo and some of the teams that he scored. So again, you know, I don't want to minimize him. I don't want to be negative. I, I think it's tremendous for Polish football. It's uh, it's good for him. It's good for Polish players in Serie A because, as we know right now, there are probably 15 or 16 uh, Polish players playing in Serie A and playing well with the Poland against Italy coming up again. That's that's big, I suppose. Uh, and, and and Piontek is promising, but we're what are we seven eight games in the Serie A right now? Uh, yeah, I, eight. Know, that's, let's just wait and see. Enjoy what he's doing, and I hope that this streak continues for him, so we can be here maybe four, five, six months from now, you and I, and talking about real big teams and real money and Genoa perhaps making you know millions uh, next summer. No, absolutely. Again, I think, you know, it's, it's, I think nowadays we're, I mean, he is people nowadays, the expectations for someone, they look at his age and they look at his production, they're saying, okay, he's 23. Where are most 23 year olds who are, you know, star players at right now? Are they staying at team like Genoa? Are they staying at some of these lower teams? No, they're making that bigger move. Mm -hmm. But I feel, I always try to tell people myself is everyone grows at a different rate some people like Mbappe, for example, I mean, a generation, once in a generation type talent, he's going to, be the kind of the outlier a guy who's 18 19 years old scoring like he's a veteran guy who's been doing it for a decade then there's guys like Piontek maybe 23 24 who just finds it and then all of a sudden now he just kind of moves on and he continues to be a a potent goal scorer so I think people really have to kind of set that expectation up and and really look at it and saying to your point back when we first started the recording 
look at the opposition he's scoring against. If he's doing this against, you know, the Juventus, Napoli, um, you know, and if he was even at those teams and he was doing it in the Champions League, then I think it's a little bit more, you can kind of have a little bit more to go off of. But it's such a small sample size at eight games. Uh-huh. I mean, he scored four against Lecce in the Coppa Italia, and everyone was saying, watch out for this kid, watch out for this kid. Now we're starting to see it come into play. But again, Lecce, you're thinking of the opponent. You got to be careful with the way we rate who he's actually scoring against. And you really have to look at more than just goals, to that, which leads me to my next point. Out of all his qualities, everything we've seen through eight games and everything you've known about him from what you've watched over the years, what do you think is the most um, – the individual quality I think that sets him apart from um, other strikers and maybe that's why he's having the success he's having? Oh, well, I think first, you know, he knows instinct. I think, you you know, you, you know, I've watched all his goals. You know, I haven't watched all the games uh, that he's played in, at least not all the 90 minutes games, but uh, – but but I think it's instinct and and obviously I I think his confidence because it's not easy by the way you know but by the age of twenty three you're right I mean that's almost I almost think late but that's not his fault he came from Polish first division it's not easy to establish yourself in in such a tactical and in a way cynical still Serie A right in terms of getting players and and giving him a, a sort of a platform that he got because even at Genoa to, for him to to have such a good preseason um, to to get himself there, but he does have instinct. If, if you watch the goals, he's more he scores. He's not the sort of players that moves a lot or needs a lot of space, right? He he finds that space. He's very very patient in terms. Even that last goal, that last header in the last game was pretty good. I already forgot who who was it. Kevo? No, who was the game against? It wasn't Kevo. Um, my apology. The last game this weekend when he scored on that header, I, I thought it was tremendous. And and and. And I often felt some always ask uh, uh, strikers to to look for the ball, to find it. But I think it's an extra special skill to kind of have patience and wait and and allow the ball to find you. So I think that's his best quality. And of course, with that goes, you know, the idea that he 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 is the sort of striker that probably needs service more than others. Do you know what I mean? So so. In the absence of that, it will be interesting to see what he does when service dries out, maybe just a little bit, to see is he able to find the game. But he's got some pretty good instincts without a lot of movement in the penalty area. Matt, you got to unmute yourself, man. Yeah, the opponent was actually Parma. I believe he scored first, oh, and then sorry. Parma got yeah, three. No, uh, it was, it was a no, no, not a problem. It's been Parma's, just... been doing, uh, Parma's been doing pretty well this year, too. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. From what I've seen with from Piontek, um, you know, in this this the small sample size of games, positioning, he's gotten some good service, um, you know, from even Pandev centrally mm-hmm. behind him. Uh, I think uh, they've been playing typically with two strikers up front and Pondov has been kind of that, that, that grave player kind of being that linchpin and kind of making that final ball to him. But he's even been able to clean up some of that, those balls and those crosses in from, from wide areas too. And again, getting back to your point of instinct, positional sense, his understanding of the box. Those are the things I really see from him. But again, if that, once the team start to game plan, defensive teams start to really kind of, see where to close him down, what ways to kind of contain him. And when, if that service can't come in, how is he able to impact the game? I think, again, he's a big guy. He's not a frail player who's going to be able to, um, or is going to really get lost in, in, in defensive b- battles. I think he's a guy who, again, like we saw on the weekend, 
can go up and attack the ball for a header, knows how to finish within the, in the close, in tight spaces and finish well. So mm-hmm. those are things I'm seeing up front. Again, we have to see how that stacks up against um, teams that are a little more organized, a little bit more uh, keeping him under wraps. But so far, so good from Piontek for sure. Yeah, he's got he's got Juve the next game coming up, so that's going to be so. So there you go. And and of course, if he doesn't score, it's not the end of the world, and that's not going to change him or define him. That's for sure. But it is a big big season. uh, Just you know, uh, it's a big season for him, I think, and for Genoa in general. Because on one hand, even I ask, but everybody, of course, wants a season or two of that to really to 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 be able to say how good he is or that he is very very good. Reality of things may be different. So I think if he has a great season, I I would take a deal if I were him. If somebody comes in, Genoa should take a deal and he should move on because with a player like Piontek, you just don't know if a second season like that's going to come in, right? No, no, there's no guarantee that he himself can replicate this. Uh, um, so he's a finisher. Thus, you know, with the with the service dries out, maybe the goals dry out as well, and and so so it's a it, it, it's a funny dynamic with players like Piontek because there's always perception, as you said, he's very much an unknown. He comes from a lesser league to a, a big league where where he's dominating right now. So it's going to be interesting to see if he continues to to play well, how quickly Genoa will move. Uh, to unload him, uh, I have a feeling that they should do it quickly, and I think he should do it quickly because why? Why not? Uh, you know, take a bigger move, and you know that opportunity may never come his way again. No, one hundred percent, I agree with you. I think there's there's the, there was a little bit of a different. From what I saw, again, I mentioned him at the uh, way way earlier. Uh, Pellegrini. Pellegrini is a general product. Obviously, 16 years old at the 15 or 16 years old at the time when he made that move to Monaco, it was a little bit different in the sense that he was. You felt that there was really no rush for him to move because most teams, big teams, really weren't going to give him the starting opportunity that Genoa probably would have. But of course, it's wound up being a somewhat of a blessing for uh, for Piontek because who knows if maybe Genoa kept Pellegrini, maybe Pellegrini's getting those nods, those mitts because he is a homegrown talent. Mm-hmm. But in any case, to your point, I agree. Piontek, he's, he's not, he didn't come through the Genoa system. He doesn't really, no offense, but maybe not the way, best way to put it, but oh, Genoa, anything more than what he's doing. I think it's kind of understood that, yes, he made a smaller move. He's getting the minutes he's producing. Maybe he keeps Genoa, you know, mid-table, keeps them afloat, and then he spun in one year and gives them a good profit for them to spin around and maybe get the next Piontek or maybe um, pull off a somewhat similar operation to what Sampdoria have been doing. You're getting guys who are younger, um, on the cheap. We saw with Patrick Sheik. We saw it with Lucas Torreira. We saw it with um, Milan Skriniar. All three are gone. All three were sold for big fees. So, again, I think I, I totally agree with you. If Piontek has the opportunity to uh, move to a team like a Bayern Munich or Barcelona, I mean, again, they don't pass. Those are once-in-a-generation type moves. If you if you turn those down, uh, more power to them. But, again, if that service for, you know, drops off, um, then you wonder, is, he be, is that move ever going to be there? And uh, obviously we've seen in many cases where uh, a player backs himself so much to continue to produce and he always he tries to kind of pay, pay it back to the team by staying on. But I think at this point now, with again, with injuries, all the things that stack up, we saw even with uh, Milik, where he made the move to Napoli, a big move to replace Iguain, got injured. Good to see him producing, but I think Piontek's future definitely lies outside of Genoa and at a bigger club. Again, based off what we've seen so far, he's got to maintain it, but so far, so good from Piontek. Um, last thing, where do you see uh, Piontek in the 
the national team picture. I mean, yes, Lewandowski is going to be, he's the main guy without question, but there, there are some names in that, that, that striker role. It kind of maybe perhaps going to be clogging some time away from him. Of course, Kovnowski even made the world, uh, the world cup roster. You have Teodor Cech. Where do you see, and then of course, Milik. So Milik's really the second guy. Where do you see Piontek? Do you see him as a guy that can really maybe be the third or second strike option? Or what do you think? Well, I mean, I think right now he's second to to, to Lewandowski. Milik is a much, much different player. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way Poland plays, it's really, you know, it's a 4-4-2, but it's 4-1-1. And, and at the moment, it's Zielinski uh, uh, be behind uh, Lewandowski, of course. Uh, for Piontek, it's going to be important to get his profile up uh, a little bit and, and for him to show on the national team. Unfortunately, Nation League is funny because it's a better competition than the friendlies, but still, uh, you know, for Poland, it's different than I suppose for other countries because they find themselves in that top, top group. Not sure that they belong there by, by virtue of rankings, the way it was. Uh, they, they find themselves there with Portugal and Poland. Uh, again, good start away to Italy uh, with a 1-1 result. So I think, you know, for the manager, new manager for Poland, Jerzy uh, Brzezczyk, uh, it's it, 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 the results are going to be key here. But but perhaps it, you know maybe the opportunities will come when the real European Championship qualifying starts uh, next year. Uh, depending on the group, of course. But you have home and away. You're going to have a group of four, whatever that is. So there's a number of games where he may be able to come. Uh, maybe not from the start, but from the bench. Uh, uh, and and uh, Right now, he's in a good position because Milik, uh, Milik has everything. In terms of what a striker needs, he's as good as any out there. When I say as good as any, I mean as good as any in terms of pure talent. But he hasn't done it for Poland. Uh, he doesn't more for Napoli. But as we know, because of his two knee injuries and, and you know new manager with Ancelotti, which now he finds himself on the outside looking in, really. Uh, but again, those are two different players. But I think Piontek, based on this form, is going to force the national team manager to look at him because uh, that should be the bottom line, is that when you inform, when you're scoring, you should get that opportunity. But having Lewandowski there, you, as you know, Lewandowski is going to get every benefit of the doubt. If he's healthy, uh, he's playing. It's as simple as that. And I'm sorry, this is my last, this is going to be my last question because I think it's on everyone's mind. If you had to pick from based off the names and clubs that you've seen mentioned with Piontek, if you had to pick one of the clubs or maybe a league specifically that you think he would fit in well, of course it could be whether it be staying in Italy with because we've heard even Juventus have been interested in him according to you know Italian media. If there was a league or a club that you think based off his skill set, based off what he brings to the table in a striking position, that would fit well or fit best with him, who would that be and why? Well, I mean, you you look at them as a, as a, as a nine uh, with service, right? I mean, England will come to mind. I mean, unlike everybody else, I don't know if he um, probably, you know, I don't know. <laughs> sure, he's not ready for the big big clubs. I mean, mid table somewhere, that's where I would go, right? Because I mean, the money's there for every club, no matter how small how small in, in, in the Premier League. But you know, based on service uh, alone, I mean, Spain wouldn't be bad because you know, Spain you get a lot of service as well. So again, uh, there, there's possibility. I mean. If you look at the history, for example, of Atletico Madrid and that type of player, uh, and again, you know, I haven't even heard if there's a rumor about Atleti, but, you know, I mean, there's so many, you know, now with Diego Costa, with Fernando Torres, uh, Kun Aguero coming out of there with Falcao, uh, you know, great number nines that came out of there. I mean, here you go, a, a team that under Simeone w- would suit a player like this, right, with, with all his characteristics. So, you know, that would be one look if I could 
talked to Simeone and he's, he's looking what he's doing. He's very familiar, Simeone, of course, with Serie A, played there himself, coached there. Uh, his son is playing there. So I, it's that's a possibility. I, I guess between England and Spain, I would. I mean, but but again, there's so many teams and leagues that play with number nines, right? I mean, Bayern Munich, speaking of history of, of, of players, they're number nines. Uh, it goes, you know, the Mario Gomez's and Lewandowski now and Klose and, and Mandzukic has played there. So those are similar players uh, uh, to him as well. So there's there's number. I don't think you just look at the leagues as a whole and say this league in particular is better. There are certain teams in every league that would suit a player like Piontek for sure. And I just named a couple because those are the two two easy ones that really value the true number nines, right? If you look at Atleti and if you look at... Uh, if you look at Bayern Munich, by the way, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he's ready or talented to play for both just yet. Just so people don't don't misunderstand. Absolutely, totally agree with you, Janish. Wealth of information, and thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. And where can we find you? Um, you're, I know you do. I've spoken to you a couple times on Sirius XM Radio, but where can we find most of your work? Yeah, it's a it's at ESPN uh, uh, still. Uh, you know that's been my work for over twenty years, and I cover you know number of leagues, uh, Series XM. I got a show coming up in twenty five minutes uh, uh, on that as well, and I do locally, of course, uh, NYCFC Major League Soccer uh, for ES Network. Uh, but but ESPN is my home. Perfect, perfect, Janusz. Thank you so much for having uh, for joining us. Really do appreciate it. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Matt. I appreciate it. That's all we've got time for today. That's all we've got time for today. Matt, uh, have you had fun? Where can people find you? I had a blast, again, talking about Piontek. Uh, I, I always have a soft spot for Polish, be a Polish international, seeing as I am mostly Polish, and I got some Sicilian in me as well, which, again, um, it's always great to talk about Polish players in Serie A, and especially one like Piontek, who's getting that uh, attention from, uh, you know, outside of Italy, outside of Italian soil. So, yeah, you guys can find me um, on Twitter, at Matt underscore Santangelo, where I'll be uh, talking more about Polish uh, internationals um, throughout the season and beyond. Uh, and you can find us together at State of Play Pod on Twitter. So at State of Play Pod P O D. Uh, while I was away, Matt manned the ship heroically. Some absolutely hilarious gifts there. Uh, lots of insight. Well, not that much insight, but lots of gifts. Uh, and if you want to email us for uh, sponsorship or collaboration, any inquiries in general, even if you've got a weird question about football, uh, that's State of Play Pod at gmail dot com. And you can find me at Pet Barisha. P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. I don't tweet that much about Arsenal. Uh, should, I do. Man. I'm joking. You guys got uh, Lucas Torreira. That, that, you, should be, yeah. you should be tweeting all day, yeah, man. I know, man. I know. I, I I was so happy the other day when we won 5-1 and he was amazing. I almost tweeted you, but I thought, um, I don't want to set you off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you guys should definitely subscribe, review, give us some feedback. If you hate the podcast, let us know. At least we can try and improve it. Uh, we'll, we'll take some some pretty heavy blows to the chin even if uh, even if you really hate it we, we will listen so uh, do let us know leave us some feedback 